Okay, guys, it's Professor Pete here for a solo sode. Um, this is only the second one we've done, but it's important. I want to jump on here. So I'm about to go teach class, but I had a little bit of time. And our last episode was us addressing like rapid fire questions from you guys. And we used a few avenues to, to get those questions in. One was on Instagram, one was on our Facebook group. And, uh, you know, just from talking to you guys in the lobby. And we had a good episode, you know, I, I liked it. It was good to talk about these things. And once we were done, we went on social media. There were a lot more questions waiting for us than, um, you know, that we, than we addressed on the, that podcast. So let's get right to it. I got a little bit of time and I got some really good questions from you guys. So I'm going to rapid fire myself. All right. So these ones come off of Instagram and I'm going to use names, guys. So first comes from Lucas Tang. So Lucas is, he's one of our like original little kid students who is now like 16 and um, man, he's tough. We even, we named a, a sweep after him in the kids program, the Lucas sweep. But he asked, what's so special about your kids program? Because by all metrics, we have a very special kids program. Anybody who sees it knows what I'm talking about and other school owners, they, you know, they get it. We have something special going on. And the, the crazy thing is it's across all ages. So it's not like we have a really good like like preteen program. We've got an amazing three and four year old program. That's the Tiny Sharks. We've got a great uh, like a beginner program, which is the level one junior sharks. Our advanced junior sharks is a great program. Like we don't really see the drop off in like attendance and enrollment that usually you would see in a jujitsu school at these ages and it's for a few reasons i look first and foremost i'm going to put this out there one of my favorite sayings when it comes to uh instructors and instructor training is you can't polish a turd right so no matter how badly somebody wants to be a, a like a world-class top tier instructor if they don't have certain attributes it's, it's never going to happen and luckily the guys here who are so invested and like love what they do and want to be like contributors and, and part of our, our team, they've got like these special talents, right? Like charisma or, you know, uh, good humor or they're like super stoic, like just different appealing things. And we're really good at putting them in the right position, play the right role. But uh, aside from that, aside like, you know, from my natural abilities as a teacher and Coach Tony's natural abilities, We've got a very good structure, and the truth is I think it's the fact that I grew up and Coach Tony grew up doing traditional martial arts, and I taught karate for a very long time. So I've, I was lucky to come into the jiu-jitsu world and start teaching kids with like a traditional background and like the structure of a program that normally they weren't applying to a jiu-jitsu program. I got to kind of figure out. And, you know, I had a good laboratory up at Ricardo's where he literally handed me the keys and the reins to uh, an entire program, the kids program, which only had like 10 kids at the time. He let me do whatever I wanted. And it was a, it was a good laboratory to experiment in. And this is the result. And a lot more, but let's move on to the next question. Next one is from Scrappy Joe. Ah, oh, Joe, this is a very uh, tough question. What shark are you? <laughs> Uh, man, I'll tell you what, I am not a great white. If I could be any shark, damn, that's a tough one, dude. I love, I love me a Mako shark, you know, the fastest, that's Neptune's assassin. 
Um, that's a tough one, man. I don't know. There's so many cool sharks out there. You know what? I really liked some of the deep sea ones, like a goblin shark. It's a good question, man. But I'll tell you what, I am not a great white. But you might be at, you might be thinking, what's with the shark stuff? Uh, I knew from day one. I knew when I was like nine years old, when I was doing karate and kung fu, that uh, you know one day if I had a school, what my mascot would be. Like it wouldn't be a tiger, it wouldn't be a dragon, it was gonna be a shark. I was obsessed with sharks by by the time I was like four years old. Like I used to, I've got like the original Shark Weeks on VHS at my dad's house, and. Uh, one of the appeals for me personally in terms of like applying it to, to what we do here is like our, our quote unquote mascot, like our logo is think about what a shark is, man. It's like the, the best hunting machine in nature. Well, one of them, right? One of them. Um, but they're, they're highly specialized. They're all about conserving energy and being able to expend like ungodly amounts of energy in one fell swoop. And that's um, jujitsu, right? Efficiency lethality, just all these awesome things. But that's a good question, man. I'll put more thought into what shark I would be. All right, next one is from Tom, Tom Console. So I know he's coming back from some injuries. He said, how do you overcome chronic injury and have the confidence to push forward? Good question, man, because here's what happens. You get hurt. Like, let's use an example for me is, uh, which I think you're going through right now, Tommy, is like I dislocated my kneecap a few years ago, getting ready for a tournament. And um, it was probably, not probably, definitely the, the most painful injury I've had. I've had some some catastrophic injuries. And in terms of like catastrophe and, and needing like reconstruction, that one wasn't so bad. Like my kneecap was out for like a good three and a half hours, but at the hospital when they were finally able to pop it back in, really I was okay. Like the pain almost subsided immediately. But then what happens is, you know, I'm in a like a leg immobilizer for three or four weeks, and then you come back, you can't really do much, and it's like a slow process coming back in. But then, you know, you're training with a knee brace on for a couple months, and then you get to that point where it's like the doctor says you're good, but you don't trust it, like you don't believe it, and you're you're hyper aware of your knee. And the truth is this, man. He, so your question was, how do you have to gain the confidence to, to push forward? It's, you just got to do it. And the truth is, you're going to have to adjust. You're going to have to protect these things. You guys have heard me say this a million times. Like, my injuries have been, I know it sounds corny, but blessings in disguise. For example, when my left shoulder had to get fixed, that's where my Delaheva guard came from, my open guard, which I've got a pretty good Delaheva guard, right? You ask any of my peers, like people in the association, they know I'm like the Delaheva guy. That only came about because I had to protect my left shoulder. Even now, I'm four and a half months out from, from my pec uh, tendon tear surgery. And my guard passing has gone through the roof because coming back, the only thing I could really do safely in training was work on my guard passing. So I would, I would, you know, immobilize somebody's hips. I would grind to the guard pass. And then once I got it, I would reset because I didn't even have like the strength yet to isolate limbs safely. But in terms of building the confidence, there's only one way to get confidence. It's to do it, right? Like think about the sharks, right? You get bit by a shark. It's either you're going to stay out of the water for the rest of your life or you're going to jump back in. But do it safely. Do it smartly. Um, do it in a way that is going to protect your injury. And then slowly you're going to find ways to, to you know, open all the way back up. The next one is from the Tattooed Yogi, Justin Riley, my man. 
he says, I'm not very aggressive when I roll because I don't want to be a dick. How do I find the balance? That's a good question. Man, you got to be aggressive. We're not playing patty cake. This is not like a quilting bee. This is not a sewing circle. At the end of the day, jujitsu is a combat sport, right? And, and we're here to get after it. But of course, within that, you do have to abide by like dojo etiquette. You don't want to be the guy nobody wants to train with. You don't want to be the guy when the round is over, like the person has has a gi burn under both of their eyelids uh, sometimes. And, you know, things like that. You know, you guys know what I'm talking about. So the a couple of key words I like to use are, you know, like controlled aggression with consideration, right? So we're always training hard. We're always pushing the pace, but with consideration, right? So it's you're going as almost as hard as you can. And when I say consideration, it's this. You need to make calculations before you take like drastic movements. For example, like a step over far side arm bar. If your brain calculates there's a chance you're going to step on the guy's earlobe as you go, you don't do it. Even though like you're, you can, I can finish him. It doesn't matter. You know, another thing is understand who you're training with. Like I did a round with, with Justin last week or the week before. And guys, it's no secret. I've got like 45, 50 pounds and about a decade and a half of training on, on Justin. So am I going to smash him for seven minutes straight? Of course not. Because I'm not going to gain anything and he won't gain anything, right? So you got to know who you're training with. Everybody should experience a little bit of success. And again, that's very nuanced. Like if there's a very big disparity in skill, when you're like somebody having success, doesn't mean I'm going to let Justin armbar me. It means like when I pass his guard to Neon Belly, I'll let him shrimp out and I'll let him get a knee back in to recover some sort of an open guard. And then I'll go again. Something that my teacher Ricardo Almeida would always say is, when you're training with lower ranks, just try to train one step ahead of them. So if they're a white belt, train like you're a really good blue belt. If they're a blue belt, train like you're a really good purple belt. That way you can get something out of it, and they'll definitely get something out of it other than an ass kicking, right, which is not very helpful. Let's see. What is next here? That was a good question, Justin. I'm glad that you're thinking that way. This is from Professor Steve. What's the deal with Russ? Dude, I don't know, man. I'm still trying to figure that out. Russ, we love you, bud. Keep being a good sport. Al Robinson, Coach Al. How awesome is Coach Al's mustache asking for a friend? I'll be honest. I'm obligated as a close friend of Coach Al's and his instructor and him being a senior student in the school. I am obligated to ridicule him on this mustache. But I got to tell you, I got to admit, it looks pretty damn good. Right? Like, he's pulling it off. No? Good for you, Al. But I still have to make fun of you in public, dude. I'm sorry. All right. Here's from Ahmed, who, man, I've known Ahmed for years and years from uh, from RABJJ. And Ahmed, you should be a brown belt by now. But anyway, can you remember the best role you ever had and with who? Damn. Damn. Good question. All right. You, we got to qualify that question a little bit better. So... I can tell you, like, the hardest role I've ever had, like, uh, where I wanted to, like, you know, die, um, and that's with Ricardo Almeida. You know, Professor Almeida's got a good way of making you want to panic, and he smothers you, and and he totally knows how to negate everything that you do, and that's that's awful. So I wouldn't call that the best role I've ever, I've ever had. I've had some, like, very technical 
battles with my my peer group, the Purple Circle, like Chris Matakis, Max Bohannon, Rob Cook. Um, and then I've had like sh- like shining moments, which I know we don't talk about what happens in training, but you know, like I've caught some really high profile guys in front of like Master Henzo and and like you know the UFC film crew is there. That always feels good, you know, and these, these are all, like, from back in the day. And these days, like, the best roles I have are with, like, John Battle. Um, I have really good roles with, like, you know, Brando, of course. I have really good roles with Aladdin, with Mike Syracuse. Um, but, the you know, the idea of, like, what qualifies something as the best role, that's changed at every stage, right? So it used to be, like, if I could catch one of these guys or – you know, like I, I did pretty well with like a higher rank. And now it's like, how much of like a like a volley can I get going? Like how much of a dance can we make this look like? You know, but a highly contested one. RC asks, have you ever seen calves as immaculate as mine? And he was not happy about this answer because I did once, once upon a time. And it wasn't too long ago. We were at the town pool and there was a jujitsu guy there who recognized me from, I guess, Facebook and came over to chat. And, uh, you know, we had kids in the pool playing together. And then when we both got up to leave, his legs come out of the water. And it, I swear to God, RC, this guy had uh, Mark Hunt-like calves just like yours. I'm sorry to, to break that to you. All right, we got one more, guys. And it's from Eric, White Belt Eric. So he says, I know I'm late to the game, but when did BJJ click for you? When and why did you embrace the BJJ lifestyle? When did the concepts and techniques start melting together so that you could string techniques together? When did everything click from white belt from the white belt community? It's gonna let me just say this, Eric. It's and white belt community. It's gonna happen. It's gonna happen 100%. All right. So as long as you know the caveat being as long as you keep showing up and keep investing in this in this journey. It's going to happen, and when it happens, it's going to be like beyond your wildest imagination, like how worthwhile it's going to be, how rewarding it's going to be. But, man, for me, I'm like a weird kind of case study because I grew up in the martial arts, right? Like my uncle, everybody hears me talk about him all the time. I grew up in his dojo, and by the time I was in like middle school, and I wasn't training much when I was in like late middle school, early high school because I was, you know, playing sports year-round and he was already, by like 1995, I think, he was already going to Brazil. So he was like a really early, maybe 97, like super early adopter of jiu-jitsu, at least like in the Northeast. And um, I remember like hearing him talking about jiu-jitsu and like I kind of acted like I knew what he was talking about. I'm like 12, 13. But then when I was like uh, 14 years old, I, I saw him at grandma's house and he armbarred me in on like, you know, my grandma's living room carpet and uh, that was my intro to jujitsu. So right then, right there, it was like, it was obvious like where I was gonna spend my time, right? It was there. And then when I was in college, the UFC got really big. That was the heyday of Chuck Liddell and Randy Couture. And I, I remember watching these fights with my friends and being like, I could do that, I could do that. And when I graduated, I pursued it, right? But at the time, that meant going into jujitsu. Right, like if you're gonna fight MMA, like you find a jujitsu academy. Luckily, my uncle had a, a a working relationship with with Ricardo, and then you know that was the jujitsu lifestyle uh, adoption for me. But it just clicked, man. Everything just made sense. Like I loved the lifestyle. I loved the sense of like we're doing something nobody else is doing. We're doing something rare. 
we're doing something hard, something like kind of like mysterious. There's like a mystique about it. Uh, I just like that. I liked being involved in that. I just love the the martial arts lifestyle. Um, but when did the concepts and techniques start melting together so you can string techniques together? Man, I wish I could say. I mean, certain things started to make sense when I was a blue belt. Like I started I, when I was a blue belt, I had like a really good kimura. So with that, like I had some sweeps off of it and little bit of like back takes off of it. But I got to I'll just say this. I'll just say this, man. And I don't think this is what you really want to hear. So you're going to be really good. You're going to have a lot of technique under your belt by the time you're like a high blue belt. Like you're going to know most of what you're going to know, right? And then they say when you're a purple belt, you pretty much have it all. Like all the at least like all the raw materials. So you're flowing, you're like you're capable of some really impressive stuff at that high blue low purple level which is only a few years into the game but when did i feel like everything really clicked i gotta tell you probably like a year year and a half after i got my black belt and i know that's like a daunting thing to hear but the good news is you don't realize it at the time like when i was a purple belt i was like oh man i'm a world beater when i was a brown belt i was like oh man i'm a world beater i'm a black belt oh man i'm pretty good and then uh like two years later i'm like oh man i sucked i was so bad and then even now, looking back to me a year ago, it's uh, you start to uncover things. And the, but the good thing is, like the merciful thing from the jujitsu gods, is you don't know what you don't know. Like we're we're like uh, joyously naive. Like it's it, we're uh, we're not willfully blind, but luckily, fortunately, we're blind to what we're lacking, right? So we can enjoy where we're at, thinking that we're. Uh, not world beaters, but we're doing pretty damn good. And it's not until like a year or two later, you realize you really didn't know much at that time. So here's the deal. Just show up, train hard, invest in the process, enjoy every step of the way, right? So enjoy being a white belt. Very little is demanded of you when you're a white belt other than showing up. Like you're not being judged much uh, on like your physical ability. You're ju being judged more on like... Uh, how much are you investing in yourself? How how disciplined and dedicated are you? How much of a, like a, a willing student and a willing participant in, in class are you? Like how do you function within the, the tribe? Those are the things that we're really looking at. Because if, if you do all those things, we know by the time you're a blue belt and you're, you're next door with me, that things are gonna gel. And then once you're a blue belt, it's not gonna take much. It's not gonna take long. Like within a few months, you're gonna be stringing everything together. You're gonna be building, you're gonna be cooking with fire. All right. So I just want to bang those out real quick, guys, because they were really good questions and they deserved to be addressed. I'm sorry that I didn't have the old man here with me to uh, pontificate and for me to bounce insults off of. But uh, this was a quick one. All right. So if again, if you have any other questions, shoot it our way. You know, it's always fun to talk jujitsu. All right. Take care, guys.